The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 185 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is tools for family caregivers for changing lives of family members with chronic pain. What makes chronic pain so different from so many other types of pain is time. That's because chronic pain goes on and on, whereas acute pain comes to an end by itself or because of treatment. And in treatment, time is also a critical factor. That's because Powerful medications, which are very effective in relieving acute pain, create addictions, so often with awful consequences if they're taken for too long. That's the time element. The powerful addiction-causing medications include morphine and oxycontin, which is up to twice as strong as morphine, and, and it's chemically related to it. So being aware of the way situations develop over time for someone in troublesome pain is really, really important. Family caregivers are often the first to notice as time passes some warning signals regarding the pain and the effects of treatment of family caregivers affected by pain. So family caregivers need tools to help them, which is why our topic Tools for Family Caregivers for Changing Lives of Family Members with Chronic Pain is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Penny Cowan. Penny, a person with chronic pain, is founder and chief executive officer of the American Chronic Pain Association. Started in 1980, the association provides peer support and education in pain management skills for people with pain and for their families, and it works to build awareness about chronic pain among professionals, decision makers, and the general public. She's a consumer representative for the FDA CDER, Anesthetic and Analgesic Drug Products Advisory Committee. Her awards include the Jefferson Medal for Outstanding Citizen by the Institute for Public Service, Washington, and the American Pain Society's John and Emma Bonica Public Service Award. She's listed in Who's Who in America, 24th edition. She authored Patient or Person Living with Chronic Pain and all the manuals and materials used by her association. 
And in 2002, she began the Partners for Understanding pain campaign under the direction of the um, association, and it now has more than 80 partner organizations. So, Penny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Penny, the first question. I'd like you to tell us more about your work and about your own experience of chronic pain and also whether you've been involved in family caregiving. Penny? Oh, okay. The, the American Chronic Pain Association, as you said, is for people with pain. And the reason that I started this back in 1980 is because I am also a person with pain. And for the first six years of my journey as a person with pain, you know, I kept hearing, just learn to live with it, and they, they didn't know what to do. It wasn't until I went to a pain management program, and I actually learned how to live with my pain, not take it away completely, but live with it and all of the coping skills that I learned. So I realized, first of all, I wasn't the only person in the world with pain. Secondly, that what I had learned there was too good to keep to myself. But most importantly, I wanted to ensure that all the things that I had tried in the past that worked for a little while and then didn't work anymore, that I could continue to maintain my wellness. And the best way to do that is to get my own positive reinforcement. So it was sort of a selfish reason, but also I wanted to reach out to other people. In in all of that time, you know, when I was in the pain program, family members were required to come to these a specific meeting that we had once a week. The reason for that is because our pain just doesn't impact us and our lives, but it sort of ripples out to the whole family unit. And and that is why you know we've always involved caregivers or family members as part of what we call our treatment team, which a person with pain is also. In that way, Penny, you you see the family caregiver as part of the care team, don't you? I see them as part of the, the yes, exactly, or the treat. We call it the treatment team, meaning everyone who is involved is really part of that team. Because without one piece of it, it's not going to work. Got it. Now, Penny, please tell us what chronic pain is, about its effects, and particularly its effects on the people who experience it. It's defined as any pain that lasts longer than three months and goes on long after a disease or illness has been resolved. That's a very simple definition for a condition that actually consumes a person's life. And the further on they go in their journey from, you know, that that person who is suffering, they fall into a, a role of a patient. And they look to medicine to fix them. The problem is there's no fix for many of us. That doesn't mean there's not hope. There are ways to actually live with pain, to manage it. The goal of pain management is to reduce your sense of suffering, improve the quality of your life, and increase your function. And those things are all possible, but we have to work, again, as a team. And, again, that includes the family members. You know, it just it is so consuming. And, and it's not even the, the pain as much as it's the fear of the pain that is so controlling for that person with pain, never knowing when it's going to strike because it's not consistent all the time. We have good days and bad days, and that's what makes it so very confusing on top of the fact that it's invisible and there's no way to measure it, see it, smell it, taste it. So we have to be believed that our pain is real. Right. 
Now, please, let's go back to the work of the American Chronic Pain Association. Please tell us more about the work of the association, and particularly how it addresses the kind of things you've just been talking about. Well, we started out, when we started out back in 1980, our, our, our focus, or my focus, was to really reach out to somebody, a person with pain, to let them know, first of all, that they're not alone, and secondly, that there's a way to actually live with that pain, to share the things I had learned. Over the years, the last 33 years, I've learned a lot more about pain management. And so one of the, one of the main things that, that have occurred to me, and you can see it on our webpage, that communication, there's a real lack of communication between, <clears throat> excuse me, the person with pain and their healthcare providers. And you talked earlier about the tools that we have. And so we've developed a number of graphical tools to really bridge that gap in communication between the healthcare provider and the person with pain. Also teaching people with pain coping skills to empower them so that they become an active part of the treatment team. You spoke about learning to live with the pain. Um, to somebody who's in pain, and the first time perhaps that they really are aware that the pain may be persistent, that there may be no cure, what's the effect on them when you say you're going to have to learn to live with it? How do they respond? Um, it's devastating. And the reason it's devastating is because we don't know how to do that. It's not something that, that is, you know, common knowledge to anyone. How do you live with pain? And I always use an example of this one slide with this very complex mathematical figure on the, on the chalkboard. And I said, you know, this is what it looks like for someone when you tell them to learn to live with pain. To me, it's an impossible. I would never know how to solve that problem. It is impossible. I can't do it. I need to be taught. And if I took enough classes and worked hard, I could probably solve that problem. And it's the same with pain. It's possible to do, but we need to be taught how to do it. And and the sad thing is that healthcare providers, in all of the training they receive, have never been trained on pain management. The average, they get about two hours in all of the medical training they get, and most of that's on prescribing and procedures, not on how do you actually live and manage chronic pain and still be a person rather than a patient. Penny, obviously, there are times in which physicians are important, and medications are important, and it's important, too, that family caregivers, as well as family members, consult the physicians. But at the same time, what I'm hearing you say is that important ways of dealing with pain really aren't medical. They lie with the individuals, with the people, with organizations like yours. How do you respond to that? Um, that's not entirely true. I think that what I'm trying to say is the person with pain and even the family members need to be an equal partner. But our organization does not replace appropriate treatment in any way. We don't provide any kind of medical advice or treatment. That's what we want to do is work in addition to their health care provider. And for some people, they may actually need medication. They may need procedures. We talk about a person with pain like a car, except their car has four flat tires. 
our expectation is give me a pill, make it go away, that quick fix, that's what we all want. Even if it is the appropriate medication for that person, it's only going to put air in one of their tires. They still have three-flight tires, so the question is what else do we need? And for each person, the answer is going to be different. It could be another procedure. It could be acupuncture. It could be some biofeedback. It could be family counseling. I mean, we don't know. It's up to the individual to determine what they need. And when they get all four tires filled, it's their job to maintain that car on a day-to-day basis. You wouldn't take your car back to a dealer and say, wash my windshield or fill her up. That's our job. But if something goes wrong, then we take it back in for a checkup. And that's probably the easiest way to, to really help people understand that it's a complex formula of a number of different things that allows us to move from the patient back to a person. But a critical piece that I think has always been missing is the person being that passive patient rather than an active participant in their health care. Just to echo back to you, this point, what else do we need, was the thing you said. Uh, And the patient, therefore, who's passive may not be asking that question or may not be involved in any kind of solution that goes in that direction. And therefore, that question, what else do we need, is as a fundamental uh, in the kind of strategies as I understand them. Now, we're going to take the break now, but we're going to discuss much more about those kind of things in, in the after the break. So let's take the break now. Um, it's that time where, as I always say, we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Penny Cowan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We'll be back. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, 
back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Penny Cowan. Our topic is tools for family caregivers for changing lives of family members with chronic pain. Penny, now let's talk about chronic pain and the challenges that it creates for the persons who experience it and that chronic pain challenges uh, that are created for their family caregivers. So first question then, Penny, is what are the health conditions and circumstances that are typically associated with chronic pain? You know, they're, they're so wide, just about any any healthcare problem has pain connected to it. So things, I mean, I think probably the, the first couple that we get most calls on are low back pain, uh, headaches. We get a lot of calls on post-herpetic neuralgia, which is what happens after someone has shingles. Um, you know, but it can be anything, uh, RSD, lupus, any of those things, even people who have gone through chemotherapy and it was successful may have lasting pain because of the therapy they had. So, I mean, it can encompass just about anything, fibromyalgia, you know, all of those things are considered chronic pain, anything that goes on longer than three months, even phantom pain, which is certainly a chronic pain problem. Just another word, what's phantom pain? Phantom pain is when there's a limb missing, and yet the person is still feeling some sensation, unfortunately, usually pain, even though the limb is gone. So there's a, there's a sort of a disconnect between what was there and their brain is still getting that message even though the arm or the leg or the hand or whatever, the foot is is no longer there. I see now why the word phantom is used. That's right. Now, Penny... Let's talk about the challenges created by medical treatments, especially medications for persons with chronic pain. And I do respect the point that you made earlier, and that is you don't give a medical advice. You're not wanting, intending in any way to take the place of, of professional physicians and other um, healthcare professionals. But nevertheless, you are in the situation where you're discussing the challenges uh, that may be created by medical treatments and other things. So what are those challenges? I think for, especially here in the United States, for people with pain who are, are taking some kind of pain medication, there's a lot of challenges only because of the, the diversion, the abuse of opioid pain medications. What we see as a challenge for that is that access to care is getting more and more difficult. Either healthcare providers are no longer willing to treat people with pain, or even if they are and give them the script, the pharmacies are not willing to fill those prescriptions because they're afraid of getting robbed. So that's really one of the biggest things. And, and I think that there's a, there's a real lack of education there among, you know, the community, the society on how do you dispose of these? How do you store these medications? Uh, we, we're running a public service announcement right now in some of the movie theaters on exactly that, on storing and disposing and not sharing those medications. Are we then talking about crime related to these kinds of medications, these addictive medications? Is that what you're referring well, to? Well, I think there's some crime, but I think there's a lot of it that people aren't aware. Uh, you know, they don't, they're not aware of where they put their medications. Uh, and so someone, I, I just heard, you know, when you have an open house, you know, the first thing the realtor tells you is don't put anything in your medicine cabinet. People go in and check that. 
that's a small piece of it. I think the bigger piece is that people don't realize how, how powerful these medications are. And while they may be opioid tolerant or have been taking them for a while and, and been, you know, given them enough that, that they can handle that dose, if they shared that with a family member who may not be feeling more having pain, it could be lethal for them. And I think that's a bigger problem. Uh, the other thing, and I talked about fear of the pain, and for some people, you know, it's that fear, never knowing when it's going to hit. And if they have a big occasion or something that they need to go to, you know, if one works good, two might be better. And so they may take two of them. If they run out of them before the time prescribed, then they can't get a refill on that until a, a specific time. So I think there's a small amount of crime there. And I think even if all of these medications went away, people would find something else to abuse. And the people with pain would still have pain. So I, I you know, I really, it's up, it's between the healthcare professional and that person, what is appropriate for them. But I think that we need to, to keep in mind that there are a number of people that unless they get those medications, one of their tires is going to remain flat. They may get 20, 30, 40, 50% relief with that, and they need it in order to function and be a productive part of society. Penny, what I'm getting from you there is, I think, profoundly important, and that is the sense that um, problems arise out of normal human behavior. Uh, you say people might want to share their medications with a family member to help that family member. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very kind, normal human reaction, isn't it? That's yep. nothing. Right. And that people may find that, yes, they need, they think they need an extra dose to deal with an extra challenge. And, you know, we've all been in that situation one way or another. <laughs> Right? Or we may be worried that we're not going to sleep when we've got something else to do that's right. important the following day. So, powerful message that, Penny. Now, I want to go to the next question, which is the challenges that chronic pain, obviously in a family member, may create for family caregivers. And what are the warning signals of the challenges that the family members, family caregivers should be looking out for? You know, that is, that's a hard question to ask um, because everybody's different and everybody's an individual. So there's not one set, this, this is the things you should look out for. I think it, it's, it's much more subtle than that. A lot of people with pain become very dependent on their family to take care of them. Saying that, those people who become very dependent, it's really depressing because we can't fulfill our role. But what's really interesting about the family members is, and, and I, well, I know what it's like to live with pain. I don't know what it's like to live with someone with pain. And so I, before we have a family manual for member, for family members, and before I could write that manual, I needed to interview family members. So I actually took three years talking to family members to really better understand from their side of the story what's what are your needs? What are your problems? And it was quite interesting. And there was only, in the end of all of that, there was only one difference between a family member and a person with pain. And the only difference is the family member does not feel the physical pain. But all the other things that we struggle with as people with pain, the confusion, the frustration, the anger, the guilt, all of that, family members are feeling just as much. So it's, you know, it's, it's a problem that that they share almost equally with us in in many ways, and they are the ones who defined all the chapters in the family manual, and they're very similar to what a person with pain needs. So it's a shared situation. 
That is to say, it's not just the family, and I'm not being negative when I say this, the family member being looked after by a family caregiver who's sympathetic. It's much more a matter of the family caregiver being almost affected in almost as many ways as the family member they're looking after. That is to say, this is a condition that affects, undermines, tires, exhausts, Mm -hmm. frustrates the entire family. Have I got that right? You have got that right, because the family members are the ones who have to pick up the slack from the person with pain. And so a, a, a well spouse may have to both bring bring home the paycheck, take care of the home, the kids, the family. I mean, their work has doubled. They're going to become more exhausted. Another interesting dynamic in the family, and we get a lot of calls from family members looking for help, and it's not because they have pain. It's because the person with pain is not willing to do anything to help themselves, but the family member's hurting and they're looking for help. And sometimes that's a dynamic. We can only help a person as much as they allow us to help them. And some people with pain simply give up. And they're not willing to help. They're not willing to work for any kind of, you know, forward motion at all. But the family is still suffering. So again, that is a, that's, that's a critical point that, you know, sometimes we have no control over what anyone else does. But if we need help, we should certainly ask for it. That's one of our basic rights, the right to ask for help or assistance. So again, you know, that's how the whole family manual came about because of the, the requests from family members just looking for something. You mentioned earlier um, that sense of being alone, and I think it would be right to say that affects families as well as the individual experiencing the pain. Now, let me turn that on its head and ask you this question. In your experience of the way in which healthcare professionals perceive pain in an individual, how much account do they take of the stresses and strain on the family and the family caregivers in the way that you've just described? Um, you know, it depends on, on the healthcare professional. There's some that are very much in tune to that, but I would have to say that, you know, given at least the way medicine is practiced here in the U.S., you know, they have such a limited amount of time with a patient that they don't have time to talk to the family members. I mean, they just, that, that's not considered, that's not part of what they're there to see the, the healthcare professional for. There's no code for that. So it just doesn't happen unless they go through a pain management program. And most pain management programs are going to include the family. I mean, our, our family manual is, is purchased by several pain programs as part of their, their care because they include the family members. The sad thing is that there's not too many pain management programs left, the interdisciplinary pain management programs left. I wish there were more, but insurance has, has not been kind to them, and, and so they have gone by the wayside. What that points to, doesn't it, is the need for higher recognition, better recognition of the value of pain management programs in their various ways. And so that, I think, goes back to one of the uh, purposes that you have for the association, which is essentially to get the message out about things that matter in a helpful kind of way. Is that right? 
That's absolutely right. I mean, there was a last year in June of 2000, I think it was 2011, actually, um, the Institute of Medicine here in the U.S. put out a report on uh, the pain in America. And what they reported, just to give you some sense of the the amount of pain and the cost, there were 100 million people in this country who were living with some form of long-term chronic persistent pain. That's one out of every three people. And the cost is over $600 billion a year. That's more than heart disease, cancer, and diabetes combined. It is a huge problem that's not getting nearly enough attention. And, And the problem is that it needs more positive attention, not the negative little piece we had talked about earlier. Got it. Now, let's go for the break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Everly. My guest is Penny Cowan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. I'm Dr. Sam Nussbaum with WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes work in reducing premature birth. Almost half a million babies are born too soon in the United States. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and life-saving programs. These programs, such as Centering Pregnancy, help moms in our communities have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us during Prematurity Awareness Month in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Penny Cowan. Our topic is tools for family caregivers for changing lives of family members with chronic pain. So let's talk now about the way in which the 
American Chronic Pain Association's tools, and the American Chronic Pain Association, let me emphasize, is the association founded by Penny, and she's its CEO. Uh, how do its tools help persons who are at risk of chronic pain or who have it, and in particular, the way in which the tools are used. Penny, first question, what does the association mean by tools? And please give us some examples. Okay, we have, we have tools that help bridge that gap of communication between healthcare provider, person with pain, and quite often even with the family members. One of the most important things for a person with pain is to be validated, to have someone believe their pain. And too often when they go in to see their healthcare provider, all they do is try to explain the pain. They want them to get it, to understand it. The problem is, as I said before, the time is so limited with that healthcare provider that by the time they do all that, there's no time to talk about anything else. So we have designed, say, I will give you an example of what we call our DPN person, diabetic peripheral neuropathy, and that's where you have nerve damage in the hands and feet because of diabetes. And what we have designed there is a, is a graphical tool. It's a person. They can choose man or woman, and then they click on where their pain is, whether it's in their hands, their arms, their feet, uh, and, and when they click on that particular piece, right side, left side, front or back, a little dialog box will drop down. And it'll actually give them um, ways that it might, is it burning, pins and needles, um, stinging, razor blades kind of feeling. And they click that and little icons will appear. And then they can measure their pain on a zero to ten scale. And when they click that close, those little icons stay up and they can go through the whole right side, left side, front and back. They can print that out, take that into their healthcare professional, and in a glance they can see, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, exactly where the pain is and how it feels and the intensity of it. It would have taken that person a huge amount of time to explain all of that. So it really helps them to, to discuss that. We also have one for fibromyalgia. Uh, another tool that we have is called our pain log. And what this does is provides another graphical tool and a number of measures. Because, and I always hated it when someone asked me on a scale of zero to ten what's your pain. Because it's really hard to tell. You know, what does your five and my five mean? It could be totally different. And so what this does, the first one is going to ask you your level of pain because that's an accepted measure. But then it's going to ask you your, your stress, your activity, your exercise, your sleep, taking medications as prescribed, side effects, constipation, sexual activity, um, your appetite, your mood, how much alcohol you consume, and how worried you're about finances. All they have to do is circle zero to ten, and there's pictures to show them, you know, what those what the measures mean from none to extreme. And again, they can just print this out and at a glance, you know, they can look at it and there's a huge amount of information there. The nice thing about that tool, it's interactive on our webpage. So people can actually go in every day and track all of those measures. And they can begin to connect the dots on the level of pain that they're feeling with what they might be have to work on, whether it's their stress, their appetite, their mood. You know, maybe they're not taking their medication as prescribed, or maybe they're constipated and so they've stopped taking medication. But it's going to give, it's going to identify some triggers. The interesting thing about that tool is that family members can also use that to begin to gear to see, you know, what where maybe they may need things. You know, where is their stress level? 
and you know, are they drinking more? Are they worry more about finances, which is quite often one of the biggest problems for family members, is you know the financial burden of living with a pain problem. So those are some of the very quickly some of the tools that we have on our webpage, and they're all free to anyone who wants them. And our webpage is www.the.acpa.org. That's the acpa.org. Right. Penny, you began by explaining how the tool helps the person with the pain communicate mm-hmm. the pain and the situation with the, with the professional. Uh-huh. Uh, now, let's talk about the way in which the tool helps the person confront the challenges. And you've already given several instances of this. But I want you to put yourself in the position of a person who is actually using the um, sequencing effect. That is, here's what it was yesterday, here it is today, mm-hmm. here was it was a month ago. How do they actually interpret that in such a way that they can understand better what works and what doesn't work? They look at their pain score number. Say it's been a consistent five, which is something that they're happy with. And they can see that that's because they're sleeping well, their stress level's down, and they're exercising. If their pain levels are five and all of a sudden spikes up to seven or eight or nine for consistent a few days at a time, and they look at the score and say, well, but they haven't been sleeping well, it helps them connect the dots to identify where they need to focus their attention and what they may need to do differently. Is then they need to talk to their health care provider about their sleep or it's because they're having far too many side effects from their medication or because they're not eating. You know, but at least they can see that, you know, I haven't been eating, you know, like I used to and and their energy is probably down. Again, this is going to give clues to where we where do we need to focus our attention on helping this person with pain. What you have to realize is that there is not a second in our lives when we're living with pain that's not impacted by that pain. And everything that we do, we filter through our pain before we do it. So we need to understand what's going on in our lives and what do we need to do so that we can regain some control of our lives. I mean, that's the whole point. Right. Now, I want to, you mentioned family caregivers using the tools as well. So let's, let me ask you how the tools of help family caregivers confront the challenges they perceive in their family members and also the challenges that they themselves are experiencing as a result of the chronic pain. I think part of the problem for a caregiver is that they're so enmeshed in taking care of that person and all the other responsibilities that have have fallen on them that they don't take time to ask themselves, how am I doing? One of the things we always tell people is learn to listen to your body. But we don't do that typically. We're so caught up in the day-to-day. And so family caregivers, they may not realize, you know, that they're not sleeping as well or they're not eating as well or any of these other things because they're so busy and so focused on keeping up with life that they don't give any time to themselves. I mean, some we, one of the things we teach are our basic rights, you know, the right to make mistakes, the right to do less than humanly possible, the right to be treated with dignity and respect, the right to ask why, the right to change your mind. All those things are empowering for people with pain. They're also empowering for the family caregivers. Penny, I'm just going to summarize back to you something 
thoughts, and I've picked up from you and what you've been saying. I'd describe the process of your tools as self-monitoring, supporting the individual to monitor himself or herself on a frequent basis, daily or however often. And where that then helps is helping the individual self-manage the life, the situation, and the things that are associated with the with the pain. Um, do you agree with that? And if you don't, tell me where I am. <laughs> to some extent, I agree with that. But sometimes people just don't don't see what's there, and so when they take it to their healthcare professional, then it becomes clear because it's a way to communicate with them, but also to have that validation that this is what's going on in my life. So it is a wonderful tool for communicating, but also for the healthcare professional to say, look at this. This is what's happening. I mean, the graphs that come out are not necessarily, you know, not everyone's going to go, aha. They're not going to have the aha moments. And so because pain is, is, you know, it really interferes with our thinking process. I mean, sometimes it just too hard to think. We're so exhausted from fighting the pain. I mean, that's exhausting. It's exhausting for the person with pain. As I said, it's exhausting for family members just to try to keep up with all the responsibilities. So we're not, we're not as aware. So I think the other part of it is that awareness for the healthcare professional or those around them. Even family members can look at their graphs and go, look, this is what's going on. Yeah. Now, back again. Just to clarify this, because I think this is profoundly important, and that is this self-monitoring, now I'm going to stay with that word, is not to the exclusion of, but in fact is quite the reverse of keeping the healthcare professional away. It's a better way of not only communicating with the healthcare professional, the physician, but also explaining what's in fact a complex situation that may be made more complex by the reactions and interpretations of the individual and the family who's living through all of this. Is that partly right? That's partly right, yes. Okay. What else would you add to it? Um, it, it it's, I guess, I guess the bottom line on all of these is while it is a wonderful communication tool, I think the most important thing is the validation that people are going to be able to get the ability for people to believe that their pain really is as severe as they say it is because remember I said it's invisible and you can't see it. There's no way to really believe it. But when you begin to look at these things and the way that maybe their ability to function on a number of levels begin to decline, they can see that, you know what, maybe even though I can't see it, this is what's happening to this person. I mean, we do our best to look good when we go out. No one ever goes to their healthcare professional in their pajamas and how they feel. We may take hours to get that done, and of course they're going to say, oh, you look good. I mean, that's, that's part of the problem. We make right. those efforts, and, and we're not going to, because people's pain don't want to keep talking about their pain. It's depressing. And, and we always say the more you focus on your pain, the more you're going to suffer. So the, a big part of pain management is redirecting your attention off of your pain. And that's why I don't like pain journals where you keep having to write down three times a day what your pain is like. I mean, that's only increasing your suffering. We need to get them out of that model and into looking at their life and at the possibilities, not what they can't do anymore, but what, what are their abilities and what can they still do. Right. Now, at that point, we're going to take the break. 
This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Penny Cowan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. We're coming back. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Penny Cowan. Our topic is Tools for Family Caregivers for Changing Lives of Family Members with Chronic Pain. I want now, Penny, to talk about more things that you believe are needed to help confront the challenges of chronic pain. Um, What does your association, the American Chronic Pain Association, want to do more to help people and their family caregivers confront the challenges of chronic pain? I think probably one of the most important things that we have been trying to do since the beginning is to change the face of pain. And what I mean by that is that most people see them as sitting in a, in a recliner, just, you know, sort of half zonked out, not really being functioning at all, when in fact, you know, you could be walking down the street or sitting in a movie theater or working with somebody who is a person with pain and you don't even know it. They're normal, everyday people. It affects the old, the young, anywhere in between. No one is, no one, you know, is immune to pain at some point in time in their life. And I think that we need to be more accepting of people with pain. They're not all out there trying to get disability. They're out there trying to get their lives back in order. And I think that is a critical message, that they're not drug seekers, they're not lazy, 
they're people just like you and me, and I am one of them. You know, and I work really hard because I want to be a person. I don't want to be that patient, and most people with pain don't either. I mean, we want our lives back. We want to be able to function because what we do accomplish in the day is what gives us our ability to feel good about who we are. And when you can't function and fulfill your roles, your self-esteem goes out the window. Penny, what more do you want? And I'm talking about you, but if you wish to bring the association into, into your, so to speak, prescription, please do so. What more do you want to see done by the medical and pharmacy professions to help people and their family caregivers confront the challenges of chronic pain? You know, I think it should start back in in their training. I think in in nursing school, in medical school, in you know, folks that have are going to become um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, all of those. They need more training in pain management skills. I think that's the first thing. I think that they also need to understand that people with pain have not chosen this path, that we, again, you know, we want our lives back. We just want somebody to help us figure it out. And so they need to be able to actually, if they believe their pain, they would take away so many defenses and they might actually be able to work as a team. When it comes to the pharmacist, and so many people don't think of them as part of their treatment team, but they are part of the healthcare profession. And we need to be able to have useful and, and, and meaningful conversations with them. So again, we have another tool for that called the Care Card, which is actually a graphical tool on how to take your medications. Because so many people, they just keep shaking their head, yes, I understand, I understand. And they don't really remember anything they're saying. They just don't want to look stupid. So they can circle morning or night, times a day, take it with food, without, again, pictures, you know, things to avoid possible side effects. And we've added storage and disposal. So, again, another graphical tool so that they can work together as a team. People should use the same pharmacy for everything. They should be aware that, you know, any medication they take, not just prescription drugs, but over-the-counter herbal supplements and vitamins, they should always discuss that with the pharmacist because if you use one pharmacy, they're going to know what you're taking as prescriptions and they're going to say that's a good thing or not. Penny, I'm just going to make a comment before I ask you my last question. And the comment is this, that more and more in doing this, uh, this show, I've learned that families confront many healthcare problems in their family members with almost all of the characteristics that you're talking about. I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of family caregivers where a family member is an, uh, an elder slipping down that awful road to Alzheimer's disease. And the stress on the str and the burdens on the families are enormous. And very often, very often, one of the things, the first things they say after the diagnosis has been presented to them by the physician or who else uh, is how alone they felt. And I've heard you say that. So I'm seeing, I'm reading across to say that things that you're doing, dealing with chronic pain as a challenging condition, also apply to other conditions which um, are troublesome in their own way and which challenge family caregiving. Now, I'm going to ask you in a moment what your message is to 
um, family caregivers and so on. But please, could you just respond to that idea that... I've just expressed. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you. And the interesting thing is that, it, as I said earlier, you know, I never have lived with anyone who has chronic pain, but so I had to interview all these people. But recently, my mother-in-law, who's 92 years old, stayed with us for a while. Um, and she, she has severe dementia. And, I mean, it was really, really difficult because she would eat and 10 minutes later not remember. Or, I mean, it, 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 it was so frustrating for all of us, and it was just totally exhausting. And I found myself having trouble concentrating and thinking because she was wearing us out. We loved her enough to try to do everything possible to make her as comfortable as possible, but it was really hard, I mean, because we can't change her. We had no control over her, and she, unfortunately, I mean, it was because of her age. There was nothing she could do. So I totally agree that, you know, it, as I said earlier, you know, it impacts everybody the same way, that the family member just doesn't feel the physical pain or doesn't live. I mean, I can't imagine living in a world where you can't remember things and then perhaps having a moment of clarity where you realize all of that. So, I mean, it's got to be really difficult. So I totally agree with you. They, and they become very isolated because I know, you know, all she wanted was for my husband to stay around and take care of her even when we went back to visit her right after she went home. She wanted him there. She wanted someone there. Just one. That was it. Now, last question. What is your message for persons confronting the challenges of chronic pain and for their family caregivers? What's your message for them? I think that the message for the person with pain is that there's hope. Tomorrow can be a whole lot better, but they can't sit there and wait for someone to do it for them. They have to take an active role and ask yourselves, okay, what can I do? And to stop focusing on what they've lost and what they can't do anymore and begin to ask themselves, what can I still do and what do I like to do? And maybe what I can do that I've never done before to try new things. Life isn't over because of pain. It's just a detour in the road. And that's what our first step is we have our 10-step from patient to person. And it's not a 10-step program, but the first two steps are critical. And the first one is to accept the pain. The second one is take an active role by getting involved. And, and they really need to understand that it's not the end of life. It's just a detour, and there's something they can do. I think for family members, I think that they need to know that they're, I mean, we have the family manual there so that they can have their own peer-led support groups, and they can come together as a group. But I think more importantly, they have to realize that they can't blame themselves for anything. And I think so often that happens, especially with children. And I think we we haven't talked about children and all of this, but, I mean, they're impacted by this just as much and quite often feel like they're the reason for mommy or daddy hurting because they misbehaved. But for caregivers, they keep trying everything they can to try to help this person with pain. But if they're not willing to help themselves, no matter how much you care or love for them, it doesn't matter. And so at some point, you have to realize, I have to save myself and the rest of the family. There's only so much you can do. We have no control over anyone else. Penny, and what you've also addressed is something else that I, we haven't discussed, but I've heard before, and that is guilt on the part of family caregivers that they're not doing enough or mm-hmm. that the problems are to some degree caused by them. And what you're saying, uh, what you're urging there, and if I can use that word, is be reasonable. Regard yourself as somebody who does need a rest, who does need support needs some support in the form of things that can be done that are going to create hope. You said that. And that also are going to make 
it possible for everyone to maximize their potential, to use their abilities to the full, because everybody has abilities, and that what you're saying, and this is a powerful message, is that pain, I call it chronic pain, you call it pain, are things that do not stop you as individuals succeeding in your lives. And I'm now going to turn that round to you personally, Penny, and say you, if I may put it to you directly, are an example of this. You are someone who saw something that needed doing, and whatever your problem was, you went ahead and did it with the kind of success that we've been talking about and hearing about. So I want to wish you every, every success for all the things you're talking about for the future um, thank you for sharing with us so openly what you think and what you're doing and to wish you and all the people who are around you and are working with you and all the people the communities that you're working with every success now i want to say thank you to our listeners we'd like to uh, hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners i'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about crowdfunding for family caregiver entrepreneurs. So please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.